This morning's reading is taken from Ephesians chapter 1, reading from verse 15 to 23. Uh, During our church service last week, we were looking at the passage that leads up to this reading, and in that the Apostle Paul spoke of how God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And in this reading today, he continues, so we read from verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. It is good to see everybody. It's good to see you all in the flesh. And those um, looking down the camera, it's good to see you too. May, um, let's just pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this um, beautiful prayer of the Apostle Paul. And we thank you for its relevance all those years ago. And we thank you so much for its relevance today. And we pray that by your mighty strength, you would answer Paul's prayer in our midst. And in those who are listening, those who are watching, Lord, hear this prayer and answer this prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, if you'd like to open it to Ephesians chapter 1, and we're looking together at verses 15 through to 23, the end of the chapter. The Apostle Paul's prayer. They're a prayer of the Apostle Paul for the people he is writing to, the Ephesians here. It's the longest recorded prayer of the Apostle Paul, and in the original it's one long, glorious sentence. There there is so much in this passage to to preach on it. One is a privilege, but also is a challenge. How can you condense this to the 20 minutes or so that we're given? It It is a beautiful prayer. It's an immense privilege to preach on it. It's an immense privilege for us to hear it and to be a part of God's work, to be a part of what God is doing and what Paul is praying for. For although he was praying for these Ephesians, he's praying for the Christian church. And we, by God's grace, if we are in Christ, are the Christian church. So this prayer really does apply to us. Why does Paul pray? He's only just started the letter. Why does he suddenly burst into prayer? The answer is verse 15. Verse 15, for this reason. Paul is harking back to what he's already said. And and in verses 3 to um, 14 there, we have this this outpouring of of like 
doctrine of grace, what God has done, what God is doing to these believers and to believers in all times. And so Paul says, for this reason, for what, in the light of what God has done, in verses 3 to 14, in the lives of these Christians he's writing to, this is why I'm going to pray. So Paul prays in verse 15, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, And in verses 3 to 14, just to remind you of what Richard preached on last week, that God is calling out a people for himself through the gospel. A people who are the objects of God's immense love and God's immense blessing. These people once were dead. They were under the wrath of God. They were separated from God. But through the call of the gospel, but now, verses 3 to 14, these very people that once were lost and separated from God are now blessed, are now chosen, are now forgiven, are now redeemed, are now adopted, are now as marked out as belonging to, the, to, to God himself. For this reason, Paul comes in prayer. And wouldn't it make any of us, for this reason, when we truly understand the gospel and when we truly understand what we are in Christ, then it causes us to fall on our knees. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I have not stopped praying for you. These called out people, this church, are the subjects of this letter and prayer. They're the gathered together ones. And it's 2,000 years or more since Paul prayed this prayer, yet God is still gathering people out for himself through that same gospel. It's the power of God to the salvation. And we, by God's grace, many of us, have been called out to belong to God's people. So this prayer is for us. We too, like these people, have been bought, purchased by the blood, by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are God's possession. And God is at work in their lives and God is at work in our lives. And it's an amazing work. It's a glorious work. It's an eternal work. And, and for Paul, say, the Jews and the Gentiles together are being called out. What God is creating is a new humanity. He goes on to speak about that in the rest of Ephesians. It, it's mind-blowing what God is doing. Sometimes we make too little of what God is doing and what the church is. But God is creating a new humanity in Christ. That's what we Christians are. We're all together different. We're not just a holy huddle that meets once a week. We are a people, a humanity that God is creating, a new humanity that will indwell eternity. And Paul says, because of this, for this reason, verse 15, Paul prays for them. He's heard of their faith. He knows about it. He worked among them for three years. And the evidences of their faith is there. Your love for all God's people. When someone becomes a Christian, when somebody becomes a believer, when somebody's engrafted into Christ, two things happen, and they might be quite small, and they grow throughout their lives. They love God, and they love God's people. The two greatest commandments are are within their hearts. It's something they feel that they want to do. And within all of God's people, there is this embryo. And it takes a while to develop a deep love for God that is just there naturally and a love for God's people. 
I think one of the things that this pandemic has taught me, how much I love God's people, how nice it is to see your faces. I am a natural introvert. I, I shy away from people. But I've really missed the fellowship of God's people. Really missed it. And it's, it's a joy, absolute joy, to be amongst God's people today. There is something special in that. And, and when you preach, I think one of, the, one of the joys of preaching is that you have a, an overriding sense of God's love for his people. It's quite overwhelming at times. God loves his people. He's calling them out. He's making them to be something very special. That's verse 15. Verses 16 and 17. Let's look at the manner of Paul's prayer. Paul says in verse 16, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. And then verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you. So Paul has not stopped and he keeps asking. It's a constant, it's a ceaseless prayer. And I think prayer does involve that when we pray. We don't just say, right, that's it, I've prayed that one prayer, leave it with God. We continue to pray. Paul continued to pray for these people. He prayed ceaselessly. Paul's manner of praying was to pray ceaselessly, to pray constantly. And, and there's a lesson for all of us who are so quick to give up with our praying. Keep on praying. Keep on asking God for these things. And then we also see in verses 17 and right the way through to the end of verse 23, which is the bulk of Paul's prayer, what Paul is praying for. These believers had needs and Paul as the apostle and Paul as a pastor, he realised those needs. And, and Paul's prayer is for God to meet those needs. And when we see what Paul is praying for here, Paul prays for very spiritual things. It's a very spiritual prayer, isn't it? He's not praying that God would give them food and clothing, which of course they need, or might help them with the, with the political situation in Rome at the time, or whatever it might be. Paul is praying for supernatural, spiritual things. And we must remember that as God's people, we are supernatural. We are spiritual beings, and, and Paul is praying for those things. And they're not unimportant you might be saying, oh Phil, tell us to do something practical. Tell us to do, do something that we can get our teeth into. Well, to, to bear these spiritual fruit, then, then the practical follows that. Paul talks all spiritual things in Ephesians until the end of chapter 3. And then he says, in the light of that, this is what you must do. This is how you must live. When we understand these, these foundations, then we can build our practical lives on the top of that. So Paul prays for certain things. And there are four main things that we can pull out of this passage. Four main things. First of all, he prays in verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. First thing that Paul prays for in verse 17 is the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why do they need that? Why do they need spirit and the spirit of wisdom and revelation? Again, this, this prayer goes on, verse 17, so that. So Paul is praying that they might have the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you may know God 
better. There's a reason for this. It leads to something. So the first need, the, the, the most important need that we have is, is this spirit of, of wisdom, of revelation, so that we might know God better. Because knowing God is eternal life. And that we, to, to come into the kingdom of God is to know God better. To, and and, to, and to, to know him better and better and better. So it's through wisdom and revelation that we get to know God better. There's a real, something is, is achieved through it. And this wisdom and revelation is, is, is a supernatural wisdom and revelation. It's not you go off to university and you can learn these things. We cannot know God. Our brains, our minds just cannot grasp these truths. We just can't do it. It's, it's impossible. So how can we know God? We know him by wisdom and revelation. The human mind is just not capable. We can learn about God, but we can't know him. We can't enter that realm where God is just by education. We need wisdom and revelation. It's not head knowledge. It's not a mental grasp about God, but it's knowing God personally. Knowing him experientially. This is what Paul is praying for these people. As their glorious father, the eternal, the holy God, to know him as a glorious father and to go on knowing him better and better and better. This word here that says about knowing God in verse 17, that you may know him better, it's a really strong word. It means to know him really, really well. It means to know him experientially. It means you to know God. We used to sing in, in, this, in the hymn, didn't we, about the Lord Jesus Christ. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. And that's our experience as Christians. God dwells in our hearts by his Spirit. And he reveals himself to us. We do get to know God. And Paul is praying for these believers that they would be given the spirit of wisdom and revelation that they might know God better. When the Queen was given, um, was, 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 had a coronation, in, it was June, wasn't it, in 1953, the year before I was born, she was presented with a Bible. And on the front or inside of that Bible was an inscription, here is wisdom. Here, this is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. The word of God is wisdom. So when the Holy Spirit opens up to us the things of God, we are learning wisdom. And as he opens our eyes to see what's in there, there is revelation about God. That the, the Word of God, the Bible, is the means whereby the Spirit of God reveals the things of God to us and makes us wise to them. That's why we preach the Bible at BH. That's why we hold it as so important, because here is wisdom. Here is revelation. Paul prays that for them. Second thing Paul prays in verse 18 is that their hearts would be enlightened. Look at it, verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, again, in order that you may know something. It, to me it's a lovely phrase. The hearts, the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened. It's as though a light comes on in our hearts. That's what Paul is praying for these believers that their hearts, that the eyes of their hearts may be enlightened. We see spiritually through eyes on our hearts. 
Wisdom and revelation lead to enlightenment. A light comes on. Why do we need to be enlightened? Verse 18 goes on. In order that you may know. Know what? Know the hope to which God has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. The Christian life is not dull and boring. Before I was a Christian in in my teenage years, I just couldn't grasp the God squad at school. What are these people on about? They're missing out life. They're missing out fun. Well, what are they doing? And then when I became a Christian at the age of 21, the light came on. I was enlightened. And I, I remember thinking back, now I know what the God squad were on about. Now I understand. The Christian life lived in, in, in harmony with God, is full, is rich, and is absolutely glorious. And Paul wants these people to know and experience that. And he prays that they might know the hope that God has for them. Hope here is, is, is a biblical hope. It's not a wishful thinking kind of hope, but it's a certainty and it's a deep, strong, supernatural certainty that comes to Christians. It's a gift from the Spirit of God. This hope, Paul is praying that they might have that hope. Hope of glory, hope of eternal life, a future hope, yes, but a present hope too. We have an inheritance as Christians. It talks about an inheritance here for believers. And Paul wants them to to have this hope, this solid knowledge of this inheritance that are theirs. it's, It's not just the forgiveness of sin, Becoming a Christian is not just having your sin forgiven, but it's, it's entering into to, to riches. And it's not health, wealth and power kind of riches, but it's, it, it's eternal life riches. It, it's, it's life in all its fullness riches. It, it's God's presence, God's power, God's protection riches. It's the glorious fruit of the Holy Spirit riches. It's the fellowship of God's people Riches. It's every spiritual blessing in Christ. Riches. This is what Paul is praying for these believers. What a lovely prayer, isn't it? So he's praying that they would know God better. He's praying that they would know life in all its fullness. Paul now prays for the means that will enable these Christians to have the wisdom to have the revelation, to have the enlightenment, the hope and the knowledge. He prays for them to know, in verses 19 and 20, God's great power. Because it's God's great great power that's going to bring them into these things. Verse 19 and 20 there. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. So not only are God's children freely given riches and blessings and, and the glorious hope, They're also given God's great power. Isn't that exciting? Sometimes you come across these things and you you, you hear the the preacher at the front, oh, I just can't do that. That's just beyond my capability. I know myself. And yet here we have Paul praying for these things, but also praying that they might know God's power, his, his incomparably great power, to bring them into these riches and to know this hope to bring them into this inheritance, this new life of holiness, of joy, of love, of peace, of knowing God himself and knowing that that God is at work within them. It's God's great power and nothing is too hard for the Lord. 
But is this power able to work this transformation? You might look at your own heart and you think, well, it might be all right for those Ephesian believers, but boy, am I a tough nut to crack. Is it possible? Is God's power able to lift me out of where I am and to bring me into this realm of of righteousness, of joy, of, of life in its fullness? Absolutely, yes. No doubt at all, yes. God's power is able to do that. Because of verses 19 and 20, it's the same mighty strength that God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. It's a resurrection power. It lifts those who are dead and brings them to life. These Christians were once dead to the things of God. He he talks about that in the next chapter. It's, It's headed, made alive in Christ. But God, who is rich in mercy, has raised them up and and seated them and us with them in Christ in the heavenly realms. He's done that already by his incomparably great power. And Paul prays for the believers to know this same power, to experience it in, in their hearts, in their lives, transforming them, lifting them out of this dark world and into a new and glorious kingdom of light over which Jesus is King and Lord and Sovereign. Salvation from start to finish, as we learnt in the very beginning of this letter, requires the power of God, and for this Paul prays. And, and, And the final part of this passage, Paul leads them to the source of this power in verses 21 to 23. It's the head of the church who supplies the power. For he is, in verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but in the one to come. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, the living one. He is the source of this power. It flows from him for the good and the building up of his people that the great head over all things is especially the head over all things for the church. We, we desperately want to be these things. We desperately want to live this life that Paul is praying for. And the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven, he is the powerful one, he is our king, who is bringing them about. His desire for us is these things too. Definitely so. So yes, that he is the king over this chosen people. But it's more than that. The, these people are a part of him in verse 23. We see the church which is his body. God's people are united to Christ. It's it's a great mystery. It's it's beyond our comprehension. It's way beyond understanding. But that's what we're taught. that the, The branch is grafted into the vine. The Lord Jesus taught that. And the life of the vine comes out through the branch to bear fruit. We as Christians are grafted in. It's Christ's life flowing in us and through us, that, 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 that makes us be what we are. This power is the very life of Christ flowing in and through his people. So that's what Paul is praying for these believers in, in Ephesus or wherever he's writing to. So that seems a million miles away, doesn't it? Some of us maybe. How on earth can that be applied to us at BH or online or wherever you're listening from? It just seems almost too far-fetched. But this is the Christian life. This is what the gospel brings us into. We, we don't want to sell ourselves short. There is an inheritance. 
to be had. There is a life to be lived. There is the power that we need to bring us into that. So how can we Christians, 21st century, highly technical, digitalised people, bring this truth into our lives? How can we apply these truths to us? Let's just do that. First of all, like the Lord's Prayer, this prayer is a pattern for us to follow. Are we, as believers, following Paul's pattern? Are we asking God, the glorious Father, our glorious Father, for these things in our lives? Do these form part of our daily prayer? Lord, give me these things. Are we praying them for, for our fellow believers? Are we praying them for our mission partners? Are we praying, them, praying these things for those that have come Christians recently through Alpha or Christianity Explored? Are these the things that we're praying for? The things that they might need? Do we realise our need of wisdom and revelation? Are we seeking to know God personally? Or have we kind of given up on that? We just go along with the flow, we just do the thing, just roll up and do it and almost... Are we having a personal experience of the living God, the glorious Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit? Are we seeking to know this God better and better and better? Because that, that's the, the normal pattern of the Christian life. Do we know this hope? Do we have a, a supernatural certainty of, of, of heaven, of glory, and of, and of our inheritance in this life too? Oh, these things that we read about, is there something within it? Just kind of, I just know. It's almost too hard to explain. Well, how do you know this? I just do. There is this hope inside of me that is God-given. Are we alive to the riches of our inheritance? Or is it just sitting in the bank, unused? Are we aware of the power, the resurrection power, that, that can bring these things into our lives and into our church and that will raise us up into the heavenly realms. Is it possible? Nothing else can, but God's power can. It's right to be challenged by God's word. It's right to be challenged by this amazing prayer, but not to be crushed, because it seems so far away, doesn't it? We seem so far away from, from what Paul is praying for. But I want to stress powerfully this morning that it's possible. This is what God is working towards in us. So we should be encouraged by this passage to aim for that, to set these things as our aim and to, to pray for them as a church. Encouraged to see it answered right here amongst God's holy people at BH because that's what we are. We're the very same people that Paul is writing to. We, by God's grace, are God's holy people called out by that same gospel we have that same inheritance. So, so let, let's bear that in mind. Is it too much to ask? Is God willing to answer such prayers? Of course he is. Most certainly he is. We can be certain that God is able and willing to answer such prayers. Because if the inspired apostle asks for these things, and if the Holy Spirit caused him to write them down, for future generations to see and to hear and to read and to take on board, then we can know, we can be fully assured, we can be certain, have that hope from God that we can ask God for them and that God in his grace and mercy will answer them 
and we can enter into the life that God has for us. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this glorious prayer of the Apostle Paul. It's just great just to read it, but to, be, to think that that prayer can be answered in our lives and in the lives of others who are going to come to the Gospel. They're come to, going to come to know a life that is rich, a life that is supernaturally amazing. And Lord, we pray that you would answer the Apostle Paul's prayer in our midst, in our church, in the church nationwide, globally. May we come to know you, our living God, better and better and better for the glory and the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.